How's it going, guys? My name is Jeff. I'm a member here at SOMA. Um, I'm uh, thankful to have the privilege to be able to um, encourage you guys with what I feel like God's wanting to encourage us in today. Um, I know it's been a little while since I've taught, so um, it's very refreshing to have reflected on this text and just to feel like there is a great, uh, great, great message and a, and a good news for us today. So um, if you're new with us, we've been going through the book of Revelation specifically through the seven letters uh, to the churches in Asia Minor. To give you a frame of reference, I just threw a little map up there. Um, As you can see, Asia Minor is in modern-day Turkey. You can see Italy over there. I just always love seeing where something is today, because it kind of just brings a little bit of vibrance and reality. So this is a real place where people are today. Um, As we've gone through this series, we've seen Tripp and others really remind us that the, the purpose of this book is the same purpose as in every other book of the Bible, and it's to uh, reveal Jesus to us further. It's to point us to Jesus. And what we'll see today with the church in Philadelphia is that seeing Jesus more clearly was what allowed uh, these people of the early church to endure in life and in suffering. And the plan is the same for us today. So, to give you a bit of context, the book of Revelations was written um, right at the start of or right before the beginning of great persecution uh, in this region. We see um, this uh, letter from one of the governors of Bithynia, which is in Asia Minor, so it's in that area. His name's Pliny the Younger. And it gives a bit of context to uh, the, the culture and what was going on in that time. And this uh, governor writes to the Roman emperor, Trajan. He's like the big dog at the time. And he says, hey, this is how we're doing trials for Christians. Is this okay? And he basically outlines that they would bring Christians in, um, and they would ask them if they follow Christ, if they believe Christ is God, if they're Christians. And if they said yes, they would then um, torture them, they would uh, question them, and they would go through that about two or three more times to really make sure that they, like, they wouldn't recant. Like, maybe they'll recant the third time. Who knows? And if they didn't, they would be executed. Just... And, and this is the governor writing to the emperor. This is like the mayor of Culver City writing, writing to Obama and being like, hey, we're doing this thing. Is this cool? Um, and if they recanted, they would a lot of times uh, release them. But some governors even would, wouldn't release them and would still kill them just because they ever claimed Christ. This is just so otherworldly. I mean, if we could just imagine if I was reading my Bible in Starbucks and someone saw that I was Christian and like went to the police or went to the mayor and was like, hey, Jeff Lowndes, he's a Christian. And then they brought me in and were able to put me on trial. And my life could, could be ended just for saying, I believe Christ is Lord. It's, it's just so otherworldly to us. But that's, that's where this church was. And that's what the culture and the climate. And specifically in Philadelphia... Um, the, the church or the city of Philadelphia is a modern day city today. People still live there. Um, it's called Alice here is the name of the city. Uh, there's pictures up there. Uh, Ben, I don't know if you have those pictures. It's kind of bright, but you can see it's a, on the top left, it's a city very populated still. Um, and even on the bottom right, you can see there's pillars from the temples that were in the second and third century. So like this city has a long lineage. Thank you. That helps. Yeah. Does that help? Okay, cool. Thank you, Ryan. Um, but, but this city, what we see, what we read about this church is that they were little in power. Jesus just acknowledges. He's like, hey, I know you guys are weak. Um, 
Then the city itself, to give you context of what the church was living in, it was a Hellenistic missionary hub. And this was because, um, if, if we went back to the map, we don't need to, but you can see that it's a, a passage city to these other great regions in Turkey. Of Phrygia and Mysia is the name of the regions. And so a lot of people who were Hellenistic missionaries, basically promoting the Greek lifestyle, the Greek beliefs, the worship of Greek gods, this was like a hub to go through to get to these other parts. And so there was a lot of worship of a lot of different gods. And the biggest temple there uh, was, this, was to this god Dionysus. And Dionysus was the god of uh, fertility and of wine. And it makes sense, to give you some context, to why Dionysus was the biggest, because uh, gro- uh, grape making or wine making was the biggest industry in this city. I've never thought about this, but maybe it was like Napa or something. Like, like uh, it... it, it it was very well known for all the grapes because there was a lot of volcanic uh, activity. So a lot of the ash made the soil just great, great soil for, for growing grapes. Um, ironically, the reason they had a great grape growing industry was also the reason they had a lot of earthquakes. So the volcanic activity brought tons of earthquakes to the point where there was one or two times where like, the city was demolished and they needed imperial help like a Roman FEMA, uh, I guess you could think of it, to come in and rebuild the entire city. So this town was important, but it knew insecurity, it knew weakness, and the church itself knew that as well. Because they were dealing with everything that the, the city was dealing with, with the literal shakiness of the city and everything, but they also, if they were Christians, wouldn't proclaim to worship Dionysus. So this industry that probably a lot of them were in, they were denouncing the God that was supposed to bring them wealth, that was supposed to bring them prosperity. And a lot of you guys probably do something similar to that in a lot of our industries. You know, LA, some of the big um, dreams of LA is career success. We drive around and see millionaires all the time. People pursue money. They pursue fame. Obviously, a lot of people come here to become famous. And so a lot of us are probably going through those same struggles. And so Jesus was writing to this church. um, And it was to build them up. Because of all the turbulation, um, there was a lot of persecution. But what we see, and what we're going to talk about today, is is how the church endured. How did they endure through these tough times? Jesus says in verse 10, and we'll get to it in a bit, but I wanted to jump ahead. He says in verse 10, uh, Because you have patiently endured... He says they have patiently endured, and this endured word is, uh, in the Greek, it's hupomeno, and meno means to stay. If you could think, just to, like, to stay, and hupa means to hyperstay. To give you some context, this word was used elsewhere in Hebrews 12, talking about Jesus when he was crucified. It says, let me get it, it says, for the joy that was set before him, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Or hupa menoed the cross is, is what that means. So Jesus hupa menoed, he hyperstayed, he faced pain and, and turmoil and betrayal, and he hyperstayed. So I want us to be thinking about, let's look at our troubles today, let's, let's look at the things in our life. Are we people who crumble, who maybe run, who go to other ways? Are we people who hyperstay? What's clear is the Holy Spirit has used this text for many people before to encourage them to hyperstay, to remind them of Jesus 
that we may be people who are pillars, people who stay. And the three main points I want us to kind of dig into today as we go into it is first, um, uh, there is a key. There's a door talked about in this verse. The last one. And there's a pillar. So let's start in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. So this Holy One, this True One here is Jesus. And it says that he is the key of David. So we have this first point here. Jesus has the key. And keys in this time were a completely different context. Uh, people didn't have tons of keys and keychains like we do today. Uh, they, don't have car, they didn't have cars or a lot of doors in their houses, if any. They didn't have a mailbox. So when a great king would give the management of their house uh, over to someone, maybe like a steward or a prime minister, they would give them the key. And this key would have access to everything, to the treasure, to the food, to the linen closet. Basically, if you gave someone the key, you're like, you have rule and reign over everything I own. And so when Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia and to us today, I have the key of David, he's saying, I have absolute power and authority over everything. He's saying, I have authority over the heavens, the earth, and your lives. And we don't like to hear this a lot in America, probably in a lot of parts of the world, but in America particularly, we're an extremely individualistic society, one that thrives on autonomy and and taking a hold of my life and having complete control. That's why a lot of people move to L.A. That's probably why some of you move to L.A. Like, I'm going to seize this dream and I'm going to go for it. It resonates really deeply within us. But what we see in this text is that Jesus has the key and he says, I open and no one can shut. I shut and no one can open, referring to a door. It means you did not choose your job, your family, your successes or your failures. If you're a great success today, there's a thousand things that could have gone wrong in your life if you look back that could have, could have sent you off path. But we're seeing here that, that there is a door open for us. And not only the Bible, but social science shows that we as people have an infinite capacity to, uh, to when anything goes well, like a door is opened, we, just, we, we have an infinite capacity to say, yes, that was because of everything I've done. Or if something goes bad, we have an infinite capacity to be like, the world, anything else, it's their fault. We just, like I do this all the time. We, we all do it. We love to think that we have the key. The key to everything. Even as Christians, this isn't outside. This is every human being. I mean, think about the uh, the greatest, not the greatest, but one of the top uh, book selling uh, book categories in the world. It's self help books. And what is self help books like? What's their message? It's that you can help yourself. You have the key, or maybe you don't have the key, but we're going to help you get it. <laughs> we're going to help you. Find the power within you to harness it and then to wield it and you will be the master of your life or the master in this category. And the problem with that entire premise is that it just it doesn't work. Um, and everyone knows it. Uh, at some level, we're all striving to say, 
if I just have this thing, if, I, if this event just happens, if I can find the right boyfriend or girlfriend or find the right husband or wife, this year, if, I can just, if we just elect the right president, everything will be okay. And the problem is, is that if you've lived long enough, you've experienced doors closing on you all the time. You've experienced that the world is, is fleeting. You've experienced suffering, loss, whether it be mortal or, or a career-wise failure. And maybe some of you more than others, but whenever this happens, it's never what we set out to do. We've, we've never been like, I really hope this bad thing happens or we fail in this way. But the problem is, is we don't have the key. It's like we're holding sand, grasping it, trying to make something happen. Um, and oftentimes things slip out. And this tears us down because we as people, we tend to just give our, our, um, in our hearts, our hopes, our, our like, what we're looking to for satisfaction, for joy, for fulfillment, and so many other things other than God. And if we're honest, when it slips away, it tears us down. And we never know if we're going to be able to secure it. And I realize this is, uh, we're starting out pretty heavy, but I think we're also acknowledging the reality of, of the life we live in. And so I want to ask us, what are some of the things, I think the question's up there, what are the things in your life that you feel like you tend to put your hope in for security, uh, for financial gain, for happiness, for peace? any of that like what are the things that you look to and you often are uh you're either like made or break upon if those things come true you said how well i handle a meltdown with one of my children yep yep okay what else jobs yeah yeah so she said uh jobs excelling at your job or having a job um I know when I got laid off in January from my job, when I thought I was doing pretty well, um, there, there was a big reality check when I came crashing down and the thing I was hoping for, like that gave me not a lot of happiness, but it made me think I was something uh, that came crashing down. Yeah, so what else? Yeah, yeah. I feel like dieting is probably like a huge industry in L.A., because a lot of people live their lives like, like one of their biggest hobbies is working out and dieting. Yeah. And yeah, what else? Your bank account? Yeah. 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 Yeah, money's a big thing in our lives that, that we often... We're secure when we have a lot of it, and we're not secure when we don't. And yeah, yeah. it's pretty fleeting too, especially in LA. Rent gets us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We often do exactly what Alfred said. Cling to anything that we think we can attain control over to make our own to build us up. But... But it's, it's interesting, because when we're faced with this text, we realize Jesus holds the key, and he says that, that it's not us, but he opens the doors and shuts it for, for... And he says it, and what we'll see in this next part is he does it for our good and, and for his glory. 
We're going to unpack that more. But what we see here is we know as Christians, we suffer differently than the rest of the world. We suffer uh, with a purpose. And so if we pick up back in verse 8, it says, Jesus says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. So first off, this open door that he says he's going to open that no one can shut, there's a few things of what scholars think that means. The two main thought patterns are that he's referring to an open door to eternity, to God's kingdom. Makes sense because a lot of the book is connecting there, here and now, to eternity. Um, But another thought pattern from scholars is that it means God's going to open a door for the gospel to go out in Philadelphia and that region. So, uh, honestly, at the end of the day, there's uh, hundreds of people probably who have studied their whole lives and sit on both sides. And the reality is probably both of them God could be working out. But what I want to focus on here is, is the Philadelphia church endured to see that come to fruition. So we talked about this in the beginning, but really first off, the church was not a mega church. They weren't super, super influential in their city. And Jesus says, we see that, he says, I know you have but little power. They also obviously experienced a lot of that Roman persecution that we talked about. They had to have experienced uh, glimpses of it, or at least new people that were experiencing it that they loved. But also, on top of that, there was this synagogue of Satan, this group of Jews that was persecuting them, very similar to a lot of other the cities um, in Asia Minor that we've heard about. And then on top of that, there was these earthquakes that was literally bringing ruin to a lot of things they owned. So here we have a church who, who had to endure physically, spiritually, and emotionally too. And Jesus acknowledges, hey, I, I know you're weak. For decades you have had to hyperstay, for decades. The first big earthquake was in AD 17. This letter was probably written around the end of the first century. We're talking 50, 60 years um, at least. And Jesus says, because you have endured, because you have hyperstayed, I will open a door that no one can shut. So we, we see here for the Philadelphians, and we see it throughout the entire Bible, we're going to stick here today, is that God had a long-term purpose in mind, an end game in that region, that he would open a door, and that he was pre- actually preparing the church for it through uh, their patient endurance. And I, I want to I really recognize here that Jesus was the one who brought these closed doors. They, they did go through tough times, um, times of suffering, and God had this plan for them. And we didn't talk about it a lot, um, but we all experience closed doors. Maybe not life or death persecution for our beliefs. Literally, thank God, because we live in America and there is freedom of religion um, to some extent. Uh, but we've experienced loss, failure, things that we we're hoping would come to fruition that didn't. Maybe things with your work or with family. And so I want to ask us, 
because this is a reality for all of us, so I think it's healthy to talk about it. So whatever you feel comfortable sharing, great. Um, but what are the closed doors that you guys feel like you've experienced in the past year, uh, two years, or, or maybe just your life? Yeah. Yeah, so God takes away a relationship that, were you wanting to keep it, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> A lot, a lot of times we want to keep those things. Yeah, and God closes the door. Okay. Uh, what else? Yeah. Yeah. That's something very innate within you that obviously it you, sounds like you've been coming to the realization of that, but it's a, probably, it was probably a process to get there. Yeah. What else? Oh. What? Yeah. Yeah, so they've been fostering kids and bringing kids who didn't have family into their homes. And at times, them going back to their families when they loved them and cared for them for over a year. Yeah. Yeah, there's things we work towards for years. Like sometimes there's closed doors in a span of like a week. We find out we could get something and it shuts. But there's other things that we want for years that we think are, 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 are where we're we may not even be idolizing. We may think like this is where God wants us to go, but then he shuts it and reroutes us. It doesn't make it any easier always. But, yeah. What else? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a big one for me. Um, I've bounced around from job to job, and... uh, feeling like I landed where God has me. I'm in sales, and I've been going through probably for the past year and a half of being on teams that we just don't hit our quotas ever, and it's just constant, like, honestly, just like spitting into the wind, it feels like to me in those moments. So it's hard to be like, God, what are you doing? Because this door just, I feel like it just keeps getting slammed. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. 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 So she just talked about how people come and go, and oftentimes we pe- people we invest so much time into, and we see a future of years of friendship and partnering together in life, and family, and mission, and everything, and people leave, um, and that does cause hurt and pain at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. The more you, you stay, the more different situations you get to experience of people leaving and coming and going, and even us staying when it's not always easy to stay. Yeah. Grand and then Alfred. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I know it was, but that is a reality. Like, people pass. And um, we haven't gone there a lot today, but like death and sickness is something that I think we've all experienced um, with uh, people older than us, as well as children and miscarriages. And the reality of those closed doors is something that is so painful because sin and and death is painful. And uh, I... I, I won't even try to uh, 
start to speak on that very much because uh, I haven't experienced that. But yeah, that, those are closed doors that are, are some of the hardest. Yeah. One more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we invest financially into something uh, for so, so long, and then something completely outside of our control happens, and that door is slammed, (laughs) not just closed. Yeah. Yeah, so the Philadelphians clearly and us have experienced closed doors of all sorts of variety. Um, and I want to I wanna really address this topic because I feel like everyone inside and outside the church deals with this. Um, and it's a barrier to many people putting their trust in Jesus. And for the people that already are, it's a struggle. And we often ask why. And it's something that we have to process through, whether for a short term or for a very long term or for our whole lives. And so we've already seen that the Philadelphians... Uh, in their situation, God had a long-term purpose for them. He was going to open a door for them, and he was preparing them for that. And we see that throughout the Bible, that God constantly closes doors for a long-term plan that we don't see. But also, I would like to submit that um, it's in the midst of these struggles, of these trials, of these pains, uh, that we're pushed to a help that's bigger than us. That, that in those times, we're pushed to, to God, um, and he grows us and sanctifies us. It talks about that all over. We could do a full series on that, but we're just going to stick with 1 Peter 1 today. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says, In this you rejoice, thou, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when they were refining gold, when we refine gold today, we put it through the fire, and iniquities are burned off. Weaknesses are are burned off, and it comes out more pure and more long-lasting. And and it's Peter uses that exact analogy to talk about our lives, how when we're going through trials. We're grown and sanctified most. God strips away the things that we are putting our hope in. Our money, our family, our finances, our career success. The things, not only that we hope in, but also, it's through these trials that we see our real state. We're stripped down to our our root core beliefs. The things we put our hope in for salvation, the way in how we view ourselves, how we view others, and even how we act upon that. It's shown in our time of need. I mean, and even people who don't profess faith in Christ, when they're going through calamity, there's a reason people uh, turn to prayer. Because we realize that the things we're putting our hope in, we don't have the key to, and we don't have uh, authority over them, so we're like, some, like, someone help. But if we never went through these struggles, we would never see like, our real state and what we're really believing and what we're really rooted on. It's like you can't really know how you're doing physically by sitting on a couch and watching Netflix all day. I can't gauge my cardiovascular health by binging on Downton Abbey or whatever other show that people binge on. Um, uh, But in the same way, you have no idea how patient you are, how how steadfast you are. Uh, Your courage 
your integrity or the lack of those. You would never know those um, unless you unless you went through those times. And so really, when we're going through these times, God exposes the things we're putting our hope in, like everything we talked about. And it's God's mercy that he shows us that the things we're looking to are, are not good enough to sustain. It's his mercy that when we're worshiping these other things other than him, he says, hey, that's not going to work out in the long term. That's, that's not going to fulfill you like, like you're longing to be fulfilled. And ultimately, I want to make clear, whether God has a purpose long term that you can't see, or he's working out something now in you, could be both, most of the time is, that ultimately, these two things all fall under the great umbrella of, of God getting glory, of God being glorified. We see this all over the Bible. Once again, another thing we could spend weeks on, but we see this when Paul is, is writing to the Philippians in prison. And he was, God was working out a long-term purpose for Paul. And he was building up Paul in that time. But Paul says in Philippians, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. We can continue to read on, but Paul's ultimate hope and joy was found in the knowledge of knowing and worshiping Christ, which God allows to happen in closed doors and open ones. So we're sanctified in God. God's glorified. Now it's possible to go through also these struggles on the flip side and not experience those things. It's possible for people to go through these tough times all in vain. And so I would say, once again, people in our country don't like to hear this. They don't like this idea of being under uh, the authority of someone. And many people, but it's, it's when you're not struggling under authority, when you're not going through these closed doors that actually has a purpose, that it oftentimes is in vain. And it does amount to, to no growth and to, to just further struggle. And many people will ask, and I want to address this as well, just like we're addressing the reality of pain and struggle, um, I want to address, many people will say, how can we say that Jesus is powerful, is rightful? Why does he have the key? Why in my life does Jesus have authority to open and close doors? I believe this is the crux to why a lot of people don't put their trust in God. They may recognize, oh yeah, there's something going on up there, but like, this Jesus, he doesn't, I don't believe he has authority. Why would he have authority in my very particular situation, my family, or my job, or my, my success? And so I want to go through two things uh, uh, that we see in the Bible that really show that Jesus' authority is a rightful one, which means we can suffer with a purpose, as opposed to like a crass, authoritarian one, which we often think of when we're thinking of someone who has authority. So first, Jesus' right to have authority is, is first off based because he created us. Just like when you think of a gardener uh, uh, growing flowers and growing their garden, they have authority and say on how that thing is made and how that thing is cared for and, and shaped and what's done with it. You can spin it out in any way. The same with a jeweler when they're creating their jewelry. They have a say how it's made how it looks, how it's sold, how it's treated. You go into um, 
uh, when a, a potter is creating their pots and their clays, we see in the Old Testament people did that a lot, and they got to say how, how it was shaped, how it looked, and what was done with it. And so when God created you and I from the dust of the ground, we are his creation, his love, his people. And I realize that this metaphor breaks down for us a little bit because we're humans and we're broken. And when people hold the key, when we hear words like authority in the Western society, we often connect it with this malicious binding or, or, or bad authority that hurts people. That's not for its best. And I'll admit that's initially what I thought of, too, when I was like, God has complete authority. I'm going to tell people this. Like, that's what people are going to respond to. But, but when we're looking at the Bible, God's right to open and close doors, to have a third authority, is birthed out of uh, a father's love for his children. It comes not just from years of experience, uh, but an infinite uh, amount of wisdom of love, of putting the entire universe together and knowing the purpose of everything that was created in our lives and and why it was made and why it would be best for us. So it's out of that that he guides and loves us. The second reason is that Jesus has right to the key in our life and has authority because of what he's done. We have the only religion in the world where God came down as a man in human form. And if you know the story of him living, loving, discipling people, caring for people, being betrayed and crucified, we have the only God who has the key and was locked out. We have the only God who who has the key and knows what it's like to to be locked out. When Jesus had, was about to have an eternity's amount of wrath poured on him on the cross, he did what most humans would do. He went to the garden and he said, Father, take this cup from me. And I, I normally think of this like he went there for like 15 minutes, said it a few times, and then went back. But if you read the text, he was there for hours. I don't know if you guys have ever prayed for hours, but he was there for hours talking with God, pleading with God. And he was the only guy ever to be able to say, hey God, I'm actually perfect. I don't deserve uh, punishment for disobeying and for worshiping all these other things in you. But what did he say? He said, God, your will be done. If we don't believe Jesus did this, then we will always see God's power as crass, as authoritarian, as unloving. Or we can see Jesus writhing in pain, agonizing as a human, hyper-staying, enduring, all for our sake, being locked out. And when we see that, when we realize that, when we believe that, we will know that he has the right to close doors on us today for our good. A Christian is someone who says, Lord, if you were locked out for me and experienced a bigger closed door than one I could ever face, and by doing so, you opened the only door that could kill me, the door to heaven. If you experience these locked doors for me, I can certainly experience my locked doors for you because I know you're working good out of it. I know you're working good just like God brought good things out of your closed door. Because Jesus then rose from the dead, absorbing our punishment for sin so that anyone who believes in him 
all of us, when we believe that Jesus' love was poured out and he took on that sacrifice for us, that we would have access to the only door that could kill us, the door to eternity. So we suffer with hope. We suffer knowing that that there's a purpose. And it's when we... When we say, I want to say, to the degree we believe Jesus was locked out, to like the the degree to how bad it was, is is to the degree that we will be able to suffer today. To the degree that we see how atrocious it was being locked out and how crazy it was, is, is the amount that we will be able to be locked out for him today. When we believe these things, suffering under authority suffering in obedience, and suffering with faith that we become pillars, leading to other open doors, being fortified by the Holy Spirit, reminding us of Jesus, reminding us of the gospel through all of life's stuff. And so we continue on as we read in verse 11. And it says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall he go out. I will write on him the name of God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. In, or to the churches. So this is amazing news, and, and to give a few uh, points of context, God says that they'll be pillars. Pillars were one of the most influential pieces of a building. They, they were holding up the, a lot of the weight of the building. And ultimately, though, they were only as strong as the foundation that they were on. They must have had like a, a cornerstone or a really strong stone to hold them up. And so God says that they'll be pillars. The Philadelphians were weak. They knew what it was like to be weak, to not be strong, to not be influential, to not last, to not be able to hold up um, and, and say to an entire city, this is what it's like and everyone like follow. And, and they'd also experienced little ruin of probably most of what they had. They knew what it was like to be the opposite of a pillar. And so when they hear God saying, you, I will make you into pillars like they are hearing that God saying, I will do a reversal of everything you have ever known. God saying, by my power, I will, make you a found, I will make you a foundation. You will be a fortifying influence that will last. And then he says, he says I will give you uh, the name of God, the name of his city, and my own new name, which is Jesus. And because the Philadelphians were destroyed a few times, they had actually taken on a few other Roman emperors' names. Like, the emperor was like, hey, I helped you rebuild the whole city. Like, you should be called my name now. <laughs> um, and so they had known what it was like to have lesser names of, of gods or kings that ruled over them. And God says, out of my love, I'm giving you a name that will last. God's making us into pillars that stay. In this life, by the Holy Spirit reminding us of Jesus. Remember, this book's about pointing us to Jesus. By calling us to have our foundation on the cornerstone. And we will, we will also get to experience the reversal of all things. Everything bad that's happened to us, we will get to experience the reversal of death, of sin, of brokenness. 
John describes this eternity in Revelations 21.4. Kim mentioned it earlier. But he's speaking about, he's speaking of Jesus. And he says, Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We will get to experience the ultimate reversal of every bad thing, every pain, every hurt, every failure, every everything. We will be pillars, and the whole earth will be founded on Jesus, our sacrificial servant king, the one who was locked out for us and then defeated death. So this is the path for endurance. This is the encouragement that I feel like God wants to bring to us today, and he was bringing to the Philadelphians. That as the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to see Jesus, who was locked out for us, that we would be welcomed in. We suffer through our closed doors for his sake, knowing it's for a good purpose today and for eternity. We have a hope to abide in today and for eternity. I heard this story about this uh, Japanese prisoner of war. He was in a prisoner of war camp in Singapore. And in 1945, he heard over the uh, loudspeakers that the Japanese were on the run And they were about to surrender. And he said it was funny because for the next two weeks, they were still in the camp. They were still um, being beaten, being, being worked so hard. Their lives were in danger for two more weeks still. But they knew they were going to be released. And he said, you know, it, it was interesting because up until that time, we'd refuse to let ourselves laugh or cry or anything because it was, it was too painful Because we had no hope. We didn't know if this was ever going to end. But once hope came, in spite of the pain, in spite of the suffering, we were able able to laugh and cry. You know what it means to, to endure, church? It means to say, I don't know why I'm suffering today. Sometimes I don't even know the meaning of it, why I'm suffering. But it will be over. Because someone came down from heaven and took it all on him was locked out for me, and he has the key now. And as a result, there will be an end to everything I'm experiencing today, and I am going through what I'm going through with a purpose today. We can laugh, we can cry, we can be a pillar. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says in churches. Let me pray. Um, Jesus, I thank you for being locked out for us. I thank you that, that you're a leader, you're a God, you're a king who has this agopic love that wants to, to welcome his children into his family and went to the extent of being locked out, having your eternal relationship that you had with the Father broken so that us, people who are worship other things, people who put our hope in so many other things, would be able to be welcomed in. I thank you for pursuing us today. I pray that you may encourage our body today, that as we're going through times of struggle, as we're going through closed doors, God, that we would remember that you know what it's like and you're working out a good for us today and we can endure, we can laugh, and we can also cry. Thank you, Father, for this encouragement. Let me pray. Amen.